Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hi, and thanks for joining me on episode 42 of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. I'm your host, Hugo Che. Before I introduce this week's guest, I would like to publicly thank everyone who has left me a review on iTunes. Uh, Those reviews are what keeps me going. So this week, I would like to publicly thank uh, my friend Johnny Spencer from Australia, who left the A brief but to-the-point review that says excellent podcast if you want to become a better travel photographer. So thank you, Johnny. And for everyone else who hasn't uh, left a review yet, you can do so by going to ttim.photo slash iTunes. Thank you very much. And now I would like to introduce the guest for this week, who is the great landscape and travel photographer Verena Patel. With Verena, we discussed various topics, starting from minimalism, to conveying a feeling or a mood with photographs, combining family life and travel, getting it right in camera, working the scene on location, and what it takes to be a great educator. That's quite a long list of topics, but I'm confident you will appreciate the way Verena was able to give inspiration and useful tips about all of them. You can find all the links and show notes for this episode at ttim.photo/42. And now, without further ado, let's jump right into my conversation with Varina Patel. Very warm welcome to you, Varina Patel. How are Thank you? you? Thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's been a nice summer so far. And thanks for being here today. Uh, of course. What's up with you? I know you just uh, returned from a fantastic trip to Hawaii. So yeah. what is, what's happening there? Yeah, that's right. Hawaii is one of my favorite places to visit because I get to visit my wonderful grandmother. She's 93 and she's smart as a whip and funny and, you know, swims every day in the pool. And, you know, she's just she's just active and amazing. Um, And I hope I'm half the woman she is when I'm her age. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, you know, going to Hawaii is is a big deal for me because it's something that I, I feel like I'm going home. I'm going to see my grandmother. I'm going to a place that I've loved since I was a child. And, uh, you know, it, it's beautiful. And to be able to take my children with me this time, I took oh. two of them, uh, was really nice, too. They got to see their great-grandmother and spend some special time with her. So, you know, that's important to me. Yeah, that's great. And uh, you got to capture some uh, amazing lava flows. I was looking at your pictures and... Uh yeah, actually, Jay was oh, over Jay. on the Big Island uh-huh. while I was on Maui, so he got the beautiful lava flows, ah, okay. and yeah. I did not. But that's okay. I, so. you know what? I took surf lessons. <laughs> oh, amazing! <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, not not yeah. your first. Hawaii is uh, like uh, second home to you, so you probably have you had your your share of lava flows in the past, maybe. I have. Yeah, yeah actually, so. we've been on the Big Island a few times, and uh, I always love to you know, get out there and, and shoot the lava. It is just, it's mind bending. I don't know any other way to explain it, except that it's, it's this phenomenon that you 
your jaw is on the floor as you're watching it. It just doesn't seem real. It's amazing. So I'm, I'm a bit uh, pride myself to be a bit of a geography buff, but I'm uh, a bit confused when it comes to Hawaii. So if you want to see lava flows, if you want to see the volcanoes, you have to go to the big island. That's not, correct. Not to Maui. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so I was Something. on Maui this mm-hmm. time. Um, and the, the active lava flows are on the, the big island, okay. Hawaii itself. So, uh, yeah. So I unfortunately did not get to see them this time. But Jay tells me it was flowing into the ocean, which is, uh, you know, quite a sight to see. And yeah. luckily, I've seen that before, too. But it's different every time. So I'm, I am a bit jealous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you did get to surf. That's right. I got to surf. And I, and I didn't even, you know, end up bloody or bruised while surfing. So there you go, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, before we dive into more uh, specific topics, would you like to introduce yourself to, to our audience? Who is Varina Patel? Sure. Yeah, I am uh, a landscape photographer, a nature photographer, a macro photographer, whatever you want to call me. Um, but I think overall, I am a minimalist photographer. I am constantly looking sort of for uh, compositions that are very simplified. And to me, that's a huge challenge. And that's that's why I love it. You know, it's this this challenge of taking uh, the details that we normally see this incredible amount of uh, visual stimuli that's coming at us at any given moment and condensing it down into the the simplest, the, the you know, the tiniest detail or maybe the defining detail of mm-hmm. that particular moment or location um, or time of day, you know, whatever, what, whatever it is. Um, so to me, that's what I love about photography. It's the challenge of finding the essence of that moment that I'm photographing. I think that's, uh, that's something that many aspiring new uh, beginning photographers uh, finally they, they struggle with maybe at the beginning they they tend to to want to include everything in the, in the frame and yeah. then only later you realize that it's uh, uh, it's not always necessary I mean you should yeah. maybe focus on the on what really matters mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. in this respect how has your photography evolved along the years I mean you've been a photographer for as long as you've been uh, an adult, I think, or even earlier. Even uh, earlier, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I actually started when I was about 14, um, yeah. maybe even younger. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, my v- memories from before then are pretty vague in terms of photography, but my, my dad had a camera, and he always let me use it. It was a little Pentax K1000, and, uh, you know, he, he was great about letting me experiment with it and try it out and I did projects for uh you know 4H I was in 4H as a kid and I uh I took classes in school and um yeah so I was able to use that camera and sort of fall in love with it at a young age so I've been shooting for years but my style has definitely evolved over time um as an adult you know I won't go back into my style as a kid because I think that's irrelevant really i mean you know that was an experimentation just figuring it out we all go through that um but once i started to define a style of my own i really went from being a wide angle landscape photographer looking for brilliant light and dynamic uh compositions to looking much more for these tiny little um details and and you know i say tiny details in fact 
it's not always a tiny detail. Sometimes I am using a wide angle lens. Sometimes I am, you know, looking at a very wide scene and yet for me to condense it, to take it down to its, its primal elements in a way, um, is, is where I'm at now. And, and I fully expect to continue to evolve as a photographer as time goes on. In fact, I hope I do. I think if I ever start to stagnate, then, uh, I've lost what it is I love about photography. Besides being a great photographer, you're also a passionate educator. So is this concept that you just mentioned the relevant part of the, of the education you impart to your students? Thank you. First of all, that's very <laughs> kind of you to say, um, I think that, uh, I, I'm constantly trying to share with my students this idea that, um, it's not just about documenting the scene. It's not just about seeing what's in front of you and taking a picture of that. It's about conveying a feeling or a mood. Uh, it's about sharing your way of seeing the world and how it makes you feel. You know, so if I'm out there and I notice the incredible play of light through the leaves in the trees and I try and photograph that, you know, as a beginner back in the day when I was just starting out, I might take a photograph of that tree. But the problem is you lose so much of the details of that image by simply documenting it. If you can pay attention to how that light is playing through the leaves, get in close, fill your frame, you know, whatever it is, there are lots of different techniques for capturing that. But instead of capturing the tree, what you want to capture is the play of light because that's what drew your eye, right? So as a As an instructor, I'm constantly saying, you know, what's your subject? And I'll have students say to me, well, my subject is the sand dunes. And I'll say, well, okay, that's great. Which sand dune? You know, which dune is the most important? Oh, I don't know. I want to get them all. Okay, that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But what is it that's calling you about these sand dunes? Is it the, the grandeur of the scene? Is it the play of light on the dunes? Is it the rippling pattern in the sand? That's your subject. It's not the dunes. It's the thing that got your attention. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> totally resonates with me, especially the fact that, that as you hinted at, that uh, uh, what distinguishes this normal landscape photography, I think, from great landscape photography is that the landscape might be the same, the light might be the same, yeah. but it's what you, you as a photographer put into it is how your personality, your feelings show through the photographs that you take that make them different from those of everyone else. Otherwise, yeah. we just could just be all robots and you put a camera in a place and you tell it to shoot on auto and nowadays you cannot get a, a bad picture. But to get That's true. Really, with technology, <laughs> right, the cameras I mean, have come yeah. a long way. Yeah. Yeah. With technology, it's very, very hard to take a really bad picture. I mean, bad and technically wrong. But right. to get a great picture, you need to, to put yourself into it. At least that's, that's, my, right. that's my understanding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Find your heart and soul in there and pull it out. You know, <laughs> you're, you're standing in front of the scene. It is touching you in some way. It, it has inspired some emotion in you. Now, how do you share that emotion yeah. with your viewer? And that is a huge challenge that, you know, it goes way beyond just releasing the shutter. Yep. And uh, as, a, as an instructor, as a photographer, that's, that's some of 
a bit a little bit of what you are but you also are a mother as you said you had the, the chance to bring your kids to to Hawaii for the first time and yes. uh, you're a wife uh, and you're a businesswoman uh, you wear a lot of hats <laughs> yeah, so, I do wear a lot of hats. Sometimes uh, I'd like to put a few of those hats in the closet. <laughs> and I, I guess that means you don't get to, to travel as much as you would like, probably. Uh, correct true. me if I'm wrong. Yeah, so no, that's can, absolutely true. Can, can you share some tips on how you manage to, to juggle all those hats? And how do you make the most of your travels, of the time you can dedicate to traveling? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there, there are two things that I have to do um, off the top of my head, of course, there are more than that, but just just these two big things that stand out to me. One is I am pretty good at managing my time while I'm at home, uh, which means I, you know, I have a a color coded calendar that I'm constantly watching. I have spreadsheets to keep track of soccer games. You know, I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, but this is what I've, you know, learned to do over 20 years of being a parent. I've had to do it. And so, you know, it didn't necessarily come naturally to me, although at this point, I feel that it's very natural. Um, but, you know, I'm very, very organized. I'm very aware of the details of my kids' daily lives, my daily lives, and of course, all the other people that sort of come into that, you know, Jay and, and teachers and coaches and all that. Um, so, you know, Organization, communication, all of that's really important to me at home. And that means that when I leave, when I'm away, my, uh, my children's lives and my home life can still sort of carry on uh, without me being there on top of it. That doesn't mean that I'm not fielding phone calls and answering emails and all that while I'm away. I absolutely am. I'm texting my kids. I'm uh, you know just as busy with that sort of thing when I'm not home. But I, it, it's a well-oiled machine because of all the work I put into it when I am home. And that's huge. And the other thing is, like I said, the planning aspect of it in terms of travel. If we have time when we can travel, we'll say, okay, here's the gap in our, you know, in our schedules. This is when our kids aren't starting school or soccer or, or whatever it is. You know, we might have a, a two-week time frame. And we're constantly aware of that way in advance because, again, because of the way that we're organizing our schedules at home. Um, and then we'll look at that. And rather than saying, you know what, I want to go to, I don't know, uh, Hawaii, we'll say, this happens to be in August. Where is a good place to visit in August? Mm -hmm. And so we're sort of looking at it a little differently. I think, you know, in the past, we would say, hey, I want to go to Fiji. When can we go? Instead, we're saying, this is when we can go, where should we go? And that way we can get the best weather conditions, the best, um, you know, time of year to visit any given location. So if, if I say I have time in November to travel, well, that's probably not the best time to go somewhere like, uh, you know, the, the national park here in Ohio, um, Cuyahoga Valley, which is beautiful in the fall, but by November it's, you know, winding down. Instead, maybe I want to go to Vermont or, um, um, oh, here I'm talking about November. Mm. Vermont, maybe not in November. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of, of autumn colors, but of course they're going to be done in, in Vermont as well. So where would I go in November? Some, maybe some, I want to go somewhere, uh, you know, south where it's that. tropical, right? Oh. Or maybe I want to head somewhere where I'm going to get amazing snowfall in November. And that's not necessarily going to happen here in Ohio, but maybe up in the Rockies, yeah. uh, in it, the Canadian Rockies, right? So 
you know, I'm, I'm working to plan a location based on my time frame. So it's a little bit backwards, not quite what I might have done in the past, but it works very, very well for us. In a way, what you just described is the life of, uh, of many people who, who do photography for, uh, for a living or even yeah. who do photography on the side. Mm-hmm. Even those who like you who do photography on a living, I mean, uh, there is this maybe this misconception, this myth in a people's mind that what you do is like taking photos all the time, which yes. is probably not the case because you have a right. business to manage aside from the family. So it's a bit like, like me. In a way, I have a, I have a day job that I'm, mm-hmm. that I'm keeping to feed the family. So when, I'm, uh, when I can travel, I don't say, okay, I want to go to Hawaii or I want to go to uh, Kenya. When would be the best time to go there? I would say, okay, I can go in August because this is when I can take vacations. Where can I go? That's uh, right. That's pretty much the, the, the modus operandi that, that many people we have, many people have. And uh, yeah, the, the life of the travel photographers photographer is not as glamorous as <laughs> some it's, people it's very make it true. Look like. <laughs> yeah, I think you know we get a lot of questions from people saying, you know, how how is it that you're posting photos from Iceland one day and Hawaii the next? Well, the reality is I'm posting photos, yep. not on location. You know, I I I rarely post while I'm on location simply because I'm very busy while I'm on location. I often don't have access to the internet or or I'm simply exhausted. <laughs> you know, you got to sleep sometimes. Um but uh you know, I come back and I might post a photo from Hawaii one day and Iceland the next. It's not because I'm there, it's because that's the the those are the images I'm working on on that particular day. Um but there is some confusion about that and it does I I get it, but I don't think it's very interesting for me to post a photo of my living room when I'm here at home. I think people would much rather see Fiji. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it helps. Uh, yeah, I'd much rather see Fiji. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so, uh, just a, a bit of a rhetorical question, if you want. I guess uh, I guess I think I know the answer and. Uh, <laughs> the question is, with, with all the tools, we, we mentioned technology earlier, and, uh, with yeah. all the tools that we have at our disposal nowadays, especially in the digital darkroom with uh, Photoshop and Lightroom and other software and so on, mm-hmm. uh, is getting it right in camera still important? Can you always fix it in post? I, I think you're right. You do know the answer, and I'm going <laughs> to say you you can't always fix it in post. And even if you can... I, I'm a firm believer in getting it right in the camera. And the reason is because, first of all, for me, I love the challenge of getting it right in the camera. That's, that's a big part of it. But if I'm going to take that into post, I want as much leeway in post as I can get. If I make a mistake or if I just decide I want a more extreme adjustment than I normally do, you know, I want to have that freedom as an artist. I want to be able to do whatever I want. And if I get the exposure right in camera, I'm not messing with blown highlights or, or, you know, shadows I can't bring up. I want to have as much freedom as I can get. And that means learning how to use my camera, making sure that I know, um, you know, how to use it to make the most of the scene and how to get it right in camera so that I can take it into post and do whatever I want. So this is a question that maybe is a bit more serious because, yeah, admittedly, Mm -hmm. the the previous one was a bit silly, but it it allowed (laughs) me to, to lead into this other question that is, 
-hmm. before you get it right in camera and say you are on a on a location on a scene and you want to to get that great photo how much work does it take how long do you stay in a place how much variance of a scene how many lenses do you try long lenses wide angle how do you work the scene i was i'm asking this this question sorry before you answer it was prompted to me by an experience i had the other day somebody asked me to to critique their photo mm -hmm. they had taken of a waterfall and i said well it's a nice photo but you are framing a little bit too wide maybe because there is a lot of dirt and uh, underscript mm -hmm. green vegetation and a bit mm -hmm. of white sky there maybe you should have framed a little bit tighter and you should have moved a little bit to the left and so on can i see your other photos that i that you took in that place and their answer was basically well that was pretty much the the only photo maybe i took uh, five there without uh, changing a lot of mm. variables and and i said then maybe you should go back there and try to work the scene a little bit more mm -hmm. what do you mm -hmm. what do you think yeah i i think that's really good advice work the scene you know that's that's a huge part of what i do when i'm on location i might spend half an hour exploring the scene and five minutes shooting it And now don't get me wrong, if, um, if this were 10 years ago, I would have spent a lot more time shooting. And the reason for that is because I've really learned to visualize what I'm going to see through each of my lenses, if that makes sense. You know, I can, I can look at a scene and think, is this going to look better with my wide angle? Is this going to look better with uh, my, my longer lens? What's going to work best here? And I don't need to look through the lens the way I used to, um, but You know, as a beginner, when I was starting out, I would absolutely try from different angles. And you do fall into a trap of thinking, you know, oh, good, I got the photo. Let's move on to a new location. Um, but I think the, the best thing you can do for your photographer, sorry, for your mm -hmm. photography, <laughs> the best thing you can do for your photography when you're starting out is to explore the scene through your lens. Now, like I said, I can do that through my own eyes now, but in the beginning I couldn't. So if you can get out your lens, look around, try the scene from different angles, take those photos. It's digital. It's not wasting any film. You know, take as many photos from different angles as you can and just try and see this location from a variety of angles and then pull out your next lens and try it again. And, you know, that includes something like a macro lens. I might take a photograph of a, a waterfall with a wide angle lens, I'm including the foliage around it, the, you know, just getting all this detail. And then I might go in and I might photograph a single water droplet. And in the end, that might be my favorite photograph of that waterfall, you know, and so there, there's so much you can do with the equipment you have. And of course, that that can be taken even further. Look through your different lenses, absolutely. But also think about your different camera settings. Think about, um, different aperture settings you can use, change your depth of field. Think about different shutter speeds you can use. Do you want to freeze the water so you can see the individual droplets as they're splashing? Or do you want to use a longer shutter speed and blur that uh, stream of water so you can sort of see the movement in it, see the, uh, the smoothness of it? Um, you know, there are so many options. Try different filters, you know? There's so much you can do in your camera, and those are things you cannot do in post-processing. So to tie it back into what you asked about earlier, you know, I can't imitate the effect of a long exposure no. of a waterfall 
in Photoshop, if I'm starting out with an image of a, you know, a, a very fast shutter speed. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, a circular polarizer will completely change the way that waterfall looks, the surface of the water, the surface of the rocks. Um, you know, I can cut yeah. through the glare with a circular polarizer and I cannot imitate that effect in Photoshop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And basically that means to do not stop at the obvious uh, view or framing that you have in your head, yeah. uh, even if it's a very well-known place. So mm-hmm. there's always something different to discover. And, and it also helps, helps to distinguish you from other photographers. You go to a very popular location, you get the iconic shot, but then it's uh, just like everyone else's. And uh, if you don't stop there and try to work the scene and find possible alternatives, you might come come home with a with a shot, with an image that nobody has, even if it's a very popular location. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it comes down to, you know, waiting it out, too. There are times when, you know, five minutes from now, that scene is going to be completely different as the clouds move, as the light changes. So, you know, there are there are so many variables you can play with. And a lot of times I'll get people who say to me, you know, that's a location that's been shot to death. It's mm-hmm. just not interesting anymore. And I'll say, you know what, I, I can't agree with that as as much as I understand where you're coming from. You know, sure, it's hard to find a new composition, but it's not impossible. And with the variables that you have in your camera, there are an infinite number of ways that you can capture any given scene. All right. On a completely different um, axis. Mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you, what do you think it takes to be a great educator? Well, I think it takes a lot. Um, it, it means staying on top of the latest technology. That's huge. You, you need to know what's out there, what's new, what people are interested in, what people want to know more about. You need to be the person who can answer those questions. Um, and, you know, when you can't answer a question, that's okay. That happens. But you need to be able to do the research and, and find out an answer. Um, and that means staying motivated to keep learning because, you know, if you lose interest, it becomes very, very difficult, first of all, to engage your students and keep them interested, but also just to go out and do the research and, you know, find the answers. Um, so I think that being a really good educator takes uh, this, um, it takes time, it takes energy, it's a constant challenge. Mm-hmm. So what's uh, what's next for you? Do you have any trips planned for the near future? Well, we're talking about maybe going to Tasmania. Mm. Um, we may be uh, on Vanuatu sometime soon. Um, so we're not sure yet. We don't have anything solid in stone, but uh, our plans are constantly changing. So uh, we'll see. And we have some some smaller, shorter trips planned as well. We may end up, you know, in the uh, in the northeast. This fall, we may end up in West Virginia. We're not sure, but uh, see if you yeah. had no no boundaries, no no issues with money, work, uh-huh. family, kids, weather, season, whatever. Where would you really like to go if you could leave tomorrow and free of yeah. any responsibility? Well, I tell you what I would do. Yeah. I would globe jump. Is that uh, is that a, a term? Can I use it? I, so. <laughs> I would. <laughs> yes. I would be all over. I would be in Chile. I would be in, in uh, Argentina, Norway. Um, you know, I, I want to be, I, I want to go to Patagonia someday. I want to see the Atacama Desert in Chile. Um, the the mountains and fjords and coastlines of Norway are just incredible. I'd love to go to the Sahara Desert, 
you know, Tunisia, Mauritania, Chad, uh, Mount Everest in Tibet. Um, I would love to go to Bali, mm-hmm. you know, mountains, beaches, the volcanoes there. It's just, it's incredible. And of course, there's so much more in the U.S. that I'd love to explore too. Denali in uh, Alaska, I've never been there. Uh, the Sierra Nevadas. I think I could just go on and on. You know, I, I am at heart um, a traveler. Yeah. And for me, settling settling in one place has always felt a little bit stifling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some great places you, you mentioned. Some of them I visited. Most of them I haven't. So they're, yeah. they're on my, my list of places to visit. Soon. Yes, I'm afraid my list is very, very long. <laughs> it is long. The world, the world is a big place. Uh, it is. Like, okay, yeah. everybody wants to go to Iceland nowadays and, mm-hmm. and or Namibia, but there are so many places. And as you also said, in the, in the U.S. alone or Europe, uh, it's a, such a great continent with so many yeah. places. It's a bit maybe for your style. It's a, too many people and industrialization and urban development in Europe, but you can find some some great places there too. So, very true. Yeah, yeah Europe is is a beautiful, beautiful place, and there are so many areas that are sort of hidden and not very well known yeah. uh, in Europe. You know, people think of it as much more um, developed, even in the countryside. You know, lots of farms and fields, so it, it makes it a little harder to photograph um, it, it, on a broad scale. But once you get in there, you know, you'll discover waterfalls and streams and, and mountainsides. It, it is an incredibly beautiful collection of countries, Europe. Yep. Yeah. Another question would be, if, can you name a photographer that you admire, that you follow, that you would like to, to recommend to our listeners? Maybe yeah, you if know. It's, uh, Somebody who is into travel photography, but not necessarily, can also be from completely unrelated field. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I actually have um, a good friend. Uh, her name is Susan Onisco, mm-hmm. and she's, um, she's becoming more and more well-known. She travels all over the world. She has photographs from all over the world. Now, she's not necessarily doing landscape photography. She's very interested in people photography, but she has a knack for capturing these emotions in people she captures moments and and sort of the the facial expressions and all that and i absolutely love what she's doing she's very aware of light which of course for me is is critically important to photography not just for me for for most photographers it's huge but she sees it in a way that uh, i think is is difficult especially for beginners um, and she's no beginner. She's amazing. So I highly, highly recommend looking at her work. That's Susan Onisco, yep. well, white photographer. We'll put a link in the in the show notes to her. Great. And uh, as for you, where can people go and find more about you online? You can find me at photographybyvarina.com and visualwilderness.com. And of course, you're pretty active on various social media, I guess. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, you can find me on Facebook. I'm not so active on Google Plus anymore, but uh, I'm there now and then. Okay, good. Um, anything else you would like to say before we say goodbye? No, I think that's it. Just thank you so much for having me on the show today. I always appreciate talking to you. It's it's a pleasure. It's uh, a pleasure has been mine, and I hope it's also been a pleasure of our listeners. So... Maybe we'll uh, do another round of interview after your next trip. 
wherever it, wherever it is. Well, I'd love to <laughs> to hear you tell you about any any place you visit and uh, that you can uh, that you capture with your with your eye and really appreciate your photography. So it's Thank it's you. been again a great honor and a great pleasure to have you here. Thank so, you so much. Pleasure to talk to you. Uh, all the best and take care. Thank you. Bye bye. So there you have it, another inspiring conversation uh, with a great photographer. If you want to stay up to date with all the episodes we publish, may I suggest that you head to our website at ttim.photo and either subscribe on iTunes or on our newsletter so you will be notified when we publish new episodes. Speaking of new episodes, the guest for next week will be Lorenzo Montezemolo, who will tell us about how one of his images went viral on the web and everything that happened as a consequence of that. So you don't want to miss this episode. It will be published on Tuesday, September 27. So stay tuned and thanks for listening.